Revelation chapter 7 is our topic today in Life 66. What happens after the great, uh, just chaotic scene of chapter 6 with the four horsemen, the great earthquake? What's going on behind the scenes? And is life really over when we think it's over here on earth? Uh, what does it mean to be bathed or washed in the blood of the Lamb? There's a lot of questions we're going to answer today on Life 66. So turn in your Bibles to chapter 7, chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. And we're going to walk through this uh, really interesting intermission passage. Um, I say intermission because uh, the pattern of the book in the, with the, um, the seals, the trumpets, and the judgments, or the bowl judgments, there's six... Uh, that go together, then there's an intermission, and then the seventh follows. So we saw the first six seals uh, opened in chapter six, and now chapter seven is the intermission, and we'll see the seventh seal opened in chapter eight, then the beginning of the trumpets with an intermission, and then the seventh trumpet will follow that, and the same uh, goes forward with the, with the bowl judgments. Chapter six ends with the statement, the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Well, chapter 7 is going to answer the question of who shall be able to stand. And I can tell you that there will be people who will stand. You can choose today to be one who stands or one who falls under the judgment of God. Let me read the chapter to you. It's not a long one, uh, but let's get our context. Uh, chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. After I saw, or after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 from the, all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, and after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and around the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. 
He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some powerful statements in this passage, and also some mysteries as well. We see this group of 144,000 Jews supernaturally protected from God's judgments. Twelve from 12 of the tribes of Israel. But we're going to look at those 12 tribes and find something interesting there today. The second group is this innumerable, innumerable multitude who come from every nation, language, and become believers during the tribulation. So you have this interesting mix of all the tribes and nations who are Gentiles and then the, the protected Jews and them being brought together in this chapter. Let's go over this and look at it verse by verse. First verse, first three verses rather. After this, these are the events that occur after the great earthquake of chapter 6, the end of the last chapter that, that looks toward eternity. There's four angels here, and it says the four angels hold back the four winds. If you want to cross-reference these, you can look to Isaiah 11, 12, Jeremiah 49, 36, Daniel 7, 2, 8, 8, 11, 4, Zechariah 2, 6, Matthew 24, 31. Lots of talk about these four angels uh, who, who are assigned by God to to restrict certain things on the earth. These are agents of God's judgment, and we're going to see them again in chapter 8, verse 7 to 12, when we look at the, uh, the trumpet judgments. And they're told in a loud voice to withhold their judgments, to not judge yet, do not destroy the earth, the trees, and the sea, until there's these 144 servants of God, until they're sealed or protected. These are ones that, that likely are protected by God to function during the tribulation, although we don't really know their purpose clearly, um, it appears that that's the reason for this, that they are going to be going through the tribulation, but they're sealed and protected from harm uh, during that time. We see sealing a lot uh, in Ezekiel chapter 9, 4 to 6. Uh, a sealing is a mark to identify those who are faithful to God. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 4, 13, uh, 30, that it says that all believers are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, we're guaranteed that we will uh, see Jesus and be in heaven one day because we're sealed, protected by the Holy Spirit. Here in chapter 7, it's for protection. Also in chapter 9, verse 4, there's also a counterfeit seal. Revelation 13, 16 to 18 uh, speaks about this, this mark, this mark of the beast or this seal of the beast that uh, may f- appear to give you protection, appear to give you access uh, to certain things that you need, but it's false. It won't protect you from God's eternal judgment. We are marked with the name of the living God. We are people belonging to God. His word says, uh, you belong to me, child, you are mine, and the sheep know his shepherd. These sealed are servants of God, verses 4 through 8. And we always uh, interpret passages literally unless there's a reason in Scripture to tell us not to. So what do we know about these sealed servants of God? Uh, Verse 3, they're called servants. Verse 3, they're sealed on their foreheads. Now, whether or not this seal is a visible seal, like some kind of a brand on their forehead, there's really no way to know. Um, Maybe we'll live and see this played out. Uh, but that's similar to the way the word of God was worn on the foreheads or on the hand uh, in the Old Testament. Um, these are those that are sealed by the word of God. And it says on their foreheads, so whether it's visible or not, we don't know. Uh, they're from the tribes of Israel. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Uh, so they're all Jews, 
and they're sealed 12,000 each from the listed 12 tribes. However, when you look, there are two omissions. The tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim are missing from this list. Ephraim's brother Manasseh, who are the two sons of Joseph, uh, Manasseh's listed there, but Joseph is listed uh, possibly in replacement of Ephraim, and Levi is listed, although typically Levi is not listed back in Numbers and Deuteronomy when the land was distributed to the tribes of Israel because the Levites were given no land uh, inheritance. They were the ones who, whose inheritance was God, and they served in the temple. So Levi is listed where Dan is not. Mana- uh, Joseph is listed where Ephraim is not. So it's very interesting, this, this, uh, this omission and these additions. Well, why is Dan missing? From chapter 7. Well, Deuteronomy 29, 14 to 29 says that idolaters are to be separated and blotted out. In Genesis 49, 17, it was prophesied uh, that, um, that Dan would, well, have issues and that potentially some traditions say that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. Dan struggled with idolatry, looking back to Judges 18, uh, verse 1, 2, 30, 31, 1 Kings 12, 28 to 30, 2 Kings 10, 29. The tribe of Dan was one that, that, that battled and struggled and, and gave in uh, to idolatry. And it's likely that this is why Dan is blotted out. Ephraim uh, possibly also was blotted out for its idolatry. Hosea 4, 17 says, Ephraim is joined to idols. God is serious about those that we replace him with, and it appears the tribes of Dan and Ephraim were unfaithful and idolatrous in their worship. And so at the end, God blots those two tribes out. Well, this 144,000 either yield a great fruit or there is this look into others that surround the throne of God, people that have come out of the great tribulation uh, and are there to worship God. This multitude from every tribe, every language, every nation, so many that their numbers cannot be counted. Joel 22, 28, 32, and Acts 2, 16 speak of God's Spirit being poured out on all flesh. And it's maybe conceivable that this 144,000 are, are sealed in order to uh, go throughout the, the world during the tribulation and bring many, many, many people uh, to Jesus during that time. They're standing before the throne. They're dressed in white like the martyrs of chapter 6. Uh, all of these, this multitude, they're holding palm branches, uh, the same symbol like in John 12 when Jesus came in on the donkey to be recognized as king, that the people uh, placed palm branches beneath the feet of the donkey as it walked and waved them as a sign of the um, of the of the new coming king, in the Feast of Tabernacles, the last of the of the Hebrew feasts, uh, it says that the people will celebrate a new home in a new kingdom, and they would make these these booths or uh, you know small little dwellings uh, with palm branches. Uh, Leviticus twenty three speaks of that. Um, it's, it's an interesting look how these these this multitude has the uh, the signs of the of the word of God and the prophecies before. Uh, they say us. They sing a song, and they sing, "Salvation belongs to our God, who sits upon the throne, 
and to the Lamb. That brings back uh, the pictures of chapter 4 and chapter 5, doesn't it? As we saw the one who sat on the throne, God the Father, and then God the Son, the Lamb of God, who looked like he had been slain, but yet is alive and takes a hold of the scroll. That they give praise, saying salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne. And the angels and the elders and the living creatures, they do what they do, just like they did in Revelation 4 and 5. They fall on their face and they worship God and say amen. Remember, amen being so be it. It means, yes, this is true. And they sing along with saying, uh, be to our God praise and glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength. Uh, these, these identifying uh, words of our God and our Savior. He is worthy of praise and glory. He has wisdom, and we are thankful and give him honor for, for his power and his strength. Now, who are these that come, uh, and where do they come from? All of these people, all of this multitude, chapter 13 and 14, there's the question, who are these people? And John, the writer, says, sir, you know. And it says, they are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're going to talk about this washed in the blood of the Lamb in just a moment. Uh, but it's an awesome thought to think during the tribulation, people are going to get saved. Well, who is it that gets saved? Isn't this after the rapture? Uh, at least if you're a pre-tribulational rapture person, all of the tribulation is after the rapture. If you're a mid-tribulational person, then uh, those that are in the second half uh, of the rapture, uh, certainly um, it's too late for them that, that they, there wouldn't, you know, could there be a second chance for those? It's interesting then to turn to Second Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. I'm going to read that to you because it's got an interesting look at, is there a second chance once the church has been raptured for people to get saved? Here's what it says in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, or the Antichrist, will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So what this says is that those who have had the opportunity to believe, but have rejected the truth, who have believed the lie, once Jesus comes and raptures his church, they're lost. That they will be given a delusion to believe the lie. It says, after the lawless one has come. Now, if we believe in a mid-tribulational rapture, potentially there can be those saved during the first three and a half years before the Antichrist is revealed to be a tool of Satan. Uh, but then in the last three and a half, those who have believed the lie, they are lost. But what about those born uh, just before or during the tribulation? What about those who have never heard? Uh, it's, a, it's a dicey question. I'm not here to uh, lay any absolute theology on this point, uh, but we know that we need to believe now for when the time comes to uh, for the tribulation to occur, and we may live in that time, that if we believe the lie, there will be a delusion so that we won't be able to repent. We already had our chance, but there are those potentially who had not have, had the chance who can then be saved. And this multitude appears to represent 
that group that is saved during the Great Tribulation. And they're given a promise in verses 15 to 17 uh, that they will reign and they will uh, have God's uh, light shine on them, their protection, uh, God's protection upon them. Interesting that it says uh, they will serve him day and night when we know from Revelation 21 uh, verse 25, there is no day and night, and it says they'll serve in the temple. Revelation 21, 22 says there is no temple. Uh, we're speaking, of course, metaphorically here, um, that uh, that once they are in the presence of God, they will serve him eternally, and they will serve in his presence continually. And we know from Revelation 21, 22, there will be no hunger, no thirst, uh, no sorrow, uh, for the Lamb will be their shepherd. He will lead them beside quiet waters, wipe away every tear from their eye. It's powerful to think that there are those of us that will be saved prior to these end times, which are as close as we can imagine, and there will be those who will actually be saved during, and will be joined with them to, to, to praise our God. This whole thought comes about by the washing of the blood. It's kind of a interesting, and in our culture, kind of gross. That you don't wash with blood. You wash with water. You wash with soap. You wash with cleanser. Uh, this whole idea of washing with blood is is just not something that we have in our Western culture. Now, if you're a Hebrew, you understand that there is life in the blood. That blood carries the life. That while it cleanses the waste from the body. It also carries oxygen and nutrients to the rest of the body. And sometimes in the blood, there are the cells, the, the red and the white blood cells. Those white blood cells acts as the, act as the guardians of the blood with a special assignment to battle disease and to fight off intruders that will harm the body. And when those cells rebel, we have cancer. When those cells, uh, they rebel and the rest of the white blood cells think that they're, they're good cells when they're really not. And so the body doesn't fight them. The, the other white blood cells don't fight the rebellious blood cells. And that's what leukemia and, and cancer is. And so when the blood doesn't do its job, it has to have a transfusion. You've got to have different blood put in uh, in order to survive. Blood that's stronger, that can carry on the work of cleansing the, the body and bringing its nutrients. Our spiritual body has been polluted with sin. We brought sin in by our rebellion, by our uh, resistance to God's word, and only by a transfusion of blood can we survive, because our blood is condemned. We've rebelled, and we're going to die. Each one of us is going to die, die physically and spiritually if we don't get saved. And only by the transfusion of Jesus' blood into our spirit can we have our, our spirit washed cleansed and replaced with his strength, with his spiritual nutrition, with his spiritual life entering into our body. That's why Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. My blood is shed to wash you, to cleanse you. John chapter six, Jesus said, you can have no part of me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, that's kind of disgusting to think about what he just said, but what he means, drink my blood. In other words, take my blood into your into your soul. Not the not the literal cutting of a body and that blood flows, but the spiritual significance of believe in me and let what I did on the cross, my shedding of blood, believe in that and let it enter in 
to your heart so that it can cleanse your spirit, wash your spirit. It's only by the shed blood that we can stand righteous before the throne. And this multitude that stands before the throne, only by the shed blood of Jesus can they be dressed in white, purified, glorified, saved, and secured forever and ever and ever. You know, this seems like just such strange stuff, and it seems like it's so future and so far away. But I want to tell you, if you go back to chapter 6 and, and look over what's happening in our country, in our nation, in our world, and then look at what's happening in those chapters or in that chapter, it's not far-fetched at all that we could be seeing the coming of our Lord uh, in such short order. My prayer is that each one of us, each one of you, would receive Jesus now while you have a chance. And if you're listening to this, you've already been told the truth. And if you choose to refuse this truth, there won't be a second chance when Jesus takes his church away and you're left with the tribulational period. It's going to come. And you don't want to be one of those who's waiting till that time. Accept him now and receive his glorious cleansing. I hope you will. I pray you will. Truly is life and death, not for this life only, but for eternity. Well, know that you are loved. You are precious in God's sight. And he gave his life so that you'd accept him. I hope you will. Have just a wonderful week. Until next time, we get into chapter 8. We open the seventh seal and look to the trumpet judgments. We'll see you then on Life 66. This is Pastor Greg from Abundant Life Assembly of God Church in Cupertino. God bless. Till next time.